coming at you with hard-hitting analysis of every fight on every UFC card. This is your source for everything you need to know for your daily fantasy MMA lineups. This is Daily Fantasy Knockout. Now here's your host, Drew Dean. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Daily Fantasy Knockout. Breaking down UFC 276 this weekend. We got a monster card. As always, I'm your host, Drew, at Houdini16 on Twitter. And always joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the brains behind this entire operation, my good friend Josh at Stonewall MMA on Twitter. Josh, what's going on, my friend? Not much, man. Looking forward to this card. Um, you know, like we said on the last pod, it's summer now, so um, good times. Yeah, ready to ready to chop it up with you. I like I like this Thursday afternoon start time for us. Yes, sir. I heard your, your big meeting got canceled, so you're you're just like rare to go. Yeah, I'm I'm Jones up. I, I had a good meeting, big meeting planned, um, but uh, they had to reschedule last minute, which is totally cool. And uh, it's next Tuesday. I'll probably have more of their attention because we're staring down the eyes of like a four day weekend for most people. So, um, yeah, got home, cracked myself. A Labatt Blue Light Canadian Pilsner, brewed in Buffalo, New York. I think. Oh no, product of Canada. Has a has a maple leaf. Imported imported by Labatt USA. Yeah, USA Buffalo, New York. Brewing Company of Canada. So I knew it because Labatt Blue has all these giant towers in Buffalo. Anywho. Um, yeah, man. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate it. Um, make sure to give us a like, a sub, like. Oh, my God. Subscribe, like, positive rating. Hit us up in the comments. We love interacting with everybody. Uh, did we set an over-under? Uh, not this week, but... Did, did it hit? The under hit last last time, so... Yes, yes, it yeah, did. So Pretty, pretty consistent. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Josh, let's dive in here, man. Uh, we got a lot of fights to break down. We're going to try to keep this to an hour. Because uh, I know you got a lot of things to do, so um, hit me with these first two prices, and uh, we'll get rolling here. All right. So first up, we got Jessica Rose Clark tank, taking on Julia Stoliarenko. Not probably not pronouncing that correctly, but oh well. Jessica Rose Clark is the favorite. She's eighty six hundred on DraftKings. Opened at minus one forty, is now out to minus one fifty five as the favorite. Her finish prop's not good at plus four twenty five. Uh, Stoliarenko seventy six hundred on DraftKings. Opened at plus one twenty, is now up to plus one thirty five as the dog. Her finish prop is a little bit better at plus 330. Um, so you plan this one in GPPs at all? How do you see this one going down? Um, I probably won't have too much exposure to the favorite here, although I am picking her to win. Um, Jessica Rose Clark, she's a pretty well-rounded fighter. Um, active striking style. Should be able, she should be able to lean on that in this fight. Um, Julia Storielenko uh, isn't really known for that. Rose Clark over her career, um, she's kind of fallen back in her wrestling and grappling as well to win fights. So I call her a well-rounded fighter. She's not going to blow the doors off, but, um, you know, I, I do like her style. I think, I think she's in a good spot in this fight. Um, to that takedown point, you know, in her fights against Beck Rawlings, Paige Van Zandt, um, Jocelyn Edwards, she did utilize her takedowns. Uh, I question her fight IQ sometimes, um, especially after her last fight with against, against Stephanie Egger. Um, so all in all, she's a, she's a pretty well-rounded fighter. Let me look at her stats here. I'm sorry. I didn't pull it up. MMA math, MMA math. Uh, 
Yeah, so she, she lands about 3.95 significant strikes per minute um, while absorbing 3.56. Averages 1.8 takedowns per 15 uh, and defends at a 66%, right? So pretty well-rounded in my opinion. Um, she's just going to go out there and get it done. She she doesn't have many finishes to her to her record. Um, she was sub, she was submitted in her last fight against Stephanie Egger in three minutes, 44 seconds. Prior to that, it's been all decisions except for a, um, a knockout knee against Sarah Alpar back in September of 2020. So um, not putting too much stock into a finish here. When you look at Julia Stolyarenko, um, she should have the size advantage here against Clark. Um, Clark's historically been small for this division. Um, so she could utilize that, but you know, and utilize that range, but Stolyarenko, her striking just isn't there. It's not one of her strongest attributes. Um, you know, she's in a really tough spot in this fight because she's lost four straight in her to start her UFC career. Like not many people get to this point. Um, she only averages 2.68 significant strikes per minute while absorbing 4.20. Um, so obviously we're going to lean Clark on that one. Um, she does have a grappling heavy attack though, which I do like. She, she has a black belt in BJJ. She's confident off of her back and she looks for a lot of arm bars, especially in her last fight against um, Alexis Davis. So I think I'm going to go with the chalky pick here and, and pick Clark. Um, I think she should have the advantage on the feet here by a large margin. And, you know, she might be able to rely on that wrestling. My only concern here is that Julia is really crafty off her back. She does have that BJJ background and she could expose Clark's questionable fight IQ by locking in a submission similar to the last fight. So I'll throw a sprinkler two on Julia here in the large field tournaments um, just to be a little different and for some salary savings. Um, but outside of that, I, I don't have a ton of interest in this fight. Uh, I'm picking Clark to win via decision, but you know how things go. If you want to take down a massive GPP, you got to be different. I don't think Julia um, is totally crazy. So that's where I'm at. You're muted, buddy. Sorry about that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think – I'm wondering if uh, Jessica Rose Clark might even be lesser owned than Julia just for that reason. You know, like you have first-round armbar upside potential, you know, with – with Stoli Renko, it's interesting. You know, women's interesting. Women's uh, low-level women's MMA fight, like you know, armbar from guard is always kind of in play. I just want to look at uh, Jessica Rose Clark's scores, and she scored pretty well against Alpar one hundred five and ninety against Edwards. In those fights, she um, landed. She had a lot of control time against Alpar, even though she was only credited with one takedown. She had a lot of control time and five takedowns against Edwards. So. That's really like, I don't know, her ceiling is somewhere between 90 and 100 if she's getting a ton of takedowns and a lot of control time. Um, so that's like on the table, I guess. If that's I mean, you think that's probably how she wins, that she's still Renko just like always ends up on her back. and Yeah, and I wouldn't be shocked if she just outclasses her on the feet and keeps it on the feet. Right. You know, she has, she has more, more evidence to win than Julie does. Yeah, so... Probably not a fight we want a ton of exposure to, but has a little bit of contrarian potential, I guess. Yes, sir. Let's jump into this next one here. I'm, I'm pretty excited for these two ladies. We have Jessica I versus Macy Barber. Uh, Jessica I, $7,100, opened at plus 180, is now plus 240, finished prop at plus 700. Macy Barber, 9100 opened at minus 220, is now minus 285 with a finished prop at plus 300. Uh, any interest at that that finished prop at plus 300 for a 9100 guy? Woman, sorry. Not a ton. No, um, you know, 
Barbara has decent metrics. I mean, she lands about four and a half significant strikes per minute, but she hasn't topped 60 since her second UFC fight or her, her UFC debut against Hannah Seifert, who she was just like blowing out of the water. So I don't know. She just, she doesn't seem like she's producing uh, offense at a very high rate. Let me double check her um, drafting scores here real quick. Yeah. I mean, like, she was scoring pretty well against Seifers and Aldrich and Robertson when she was like finishing them. Um, you know, she was winning by knockout in those fights and in, inside two rounds and she was, she was scoring uh, 110, 93, 105. But since then she hasn't topped 80 points in either of her two recent wins. She scored 78 and 54. Um, and I definitely think that Jessica, I is generally like tough enough. Like her, her fights are just like not very good for DraftKings. She, um, doesn't tend to get taken down a ton. Uh, she doesn't tend to land takedowns very much. Um, I guess Cynthia Calvio did land four takedowns on her in a five-round fight. Her takedown defense is only 57%. Um, Barber lands 1.3 takedowns per, you know, per 15 minutes. So, I don't know. It's it's tough for me to see uh, an avenue for either woman here um, scoring a ton of points on DraftKings. Jessica I never scores well because um, she doesn't really wrestle and doesn't really finish anybody. So and I think she's probably tough enough to keep this like competitive and um, not get blown up, not get finished. And so we have, you know, not a fight that I'm really dying to, to, to play on DraftKings. I mean, even when she wins, I barely, barely top 70 points. So, you know, even if she eked out a win here, you wouldn't really love playing her if she was only to score 70, 75 points. I mean, you're probably, even though she's only 7,100, you know, you're going to want at least 80, 85, you know? Um, so it's really not a fight I have a ton of interest in. I, I'm going to go with Barbara, I guess, as being more dynamic, um, more aggressive, more generally putting more output out there. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't really trust her. Uh, we've seen her kind of like slip on banana peels plenty of times before. And I definitely don't have a lot of interest in her at this price. So, you know, I think the public is probably going to be pretty on board with that because, you know, like I mentioned, Barber's last couple of wins have not really scored very well. So I don't think that she's going to gain a ton of ownership here. So again, it would be sort of just a contrarian play, but the finish props, like nothing is really saying like you should have the overweight on this fight is sort of my, my thought. I dig. I like Macy Barber, man. I've always liked her. Yeah, she's usually in pretty fun fights. Uh, I'll give her that. So I don't know about DraftKings, though, at least this week. All right, so next up, we've got Uriah Hall taking on Andre Muniz. Uh, Muniz is a pretty big favorite here. He's 9,200 on DraftKings, open at minus 240, but is now all the way down to minus 320 as the favorite. And he has the best finish prop on the board, I think, at minus 200, if that's accurate. Hall, 7,000 on DraftKings, open at plus 195, is now all the way up to plus 265 as the dog. And his finish prop was plus 380. Not terrible for his price. Um, so how do you break this one down? Yeah, I think the general narrative across the industry is that, you know, Uriah Hall has that elite striking ability. Um, he has the ability to KO people. But it's just you don't know what side of the coin you're going to get. Um, you know, is he really motivated? Is he ready to come in there? Um, coming in off that loss against Sean Strickland, it was a high-paced fight. It was fun. Um, but just consistency, man, for him. He's been up and down his whole career. He has fought an impressive list of guys. I will give him that. Um, more so like when he fights the mid-range guys. Um, 
he does well. And, you know, he's, his confidence is clear and, you know, takes advantage of that. But when, he tends to lay an egg against these top, the top end of the division. So, um, like I said, he looks really good on the feet. He should have a pretty steep advantage um, in this, this part of the fight here. My question is, is he going to let it go? Um, because, you know, Muniz is a really high-level submission grappler. If he gets you to the ground, chances are it's over. Um, he's had only four fights in his MMA. Four fights in his – he's only lost – I'm sorry. Of his six fights in the UFC, he's undefeated and has won four of them via submission. In the first Eric round, Anders right? is – Correct. Eric Anders is on that list. And prior to that, he subbed the legend, Jacare Souza, um, snapped his arm. So, and even before that fight, this confidence this kid had, before the fight, he even said he was the better grappler and he was going to go out and prove it. Um, that was your wrestling party weekend, wasn't it? I think we were in the bar watching that fight. And you were on Muniz more, I think. And I was like, no way he subs Jacare. That's my memory of it. Maybe I'm wrong. No, you might be right. I can't remember. Um, it was a blur. So, anyway, Muniz, is, he's going to try to have to get in there close and get you down, and I think he's just going to do that continually on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. So, the question is, do you think your eye hall is going to fight smart, stay at range, and rely on that striking? Um, I was listening to some other pods and some of the things that they brought up, and, and I tend to overthink this sometimes. These elite-level strikers – Sometimes in the back of their mind, they're like, especially against Khabib, like, I'll use him for an example. All right, I'm an elite-level striker, and I've been mowing through people. Am I going to let it all on the line and, and you know, headhunt this guy knowing that if I have one slip-up or, I like, in the back of my mind, that takedown is coming? So mentally, that, that kind of affects your, your game plan and your willingness to stand and trade. So it depends what your eye hall we get. Um, I'm personally going to fade your eye hall. I think Muniz um, – eventually gets him to the ground and taps him. Your eye hole, just the consistency is, is whatnot. Um, you know, and if, and if he goes out there and knocks him out, whatever, I'll fall on the sword. But um, I've always loved the guy. He's had a great career, some really fun moments. But like I said, it's never really taken that next step to be the top tier fighter. So um, I'm going to side with Muniz here. I take, uh, I think Muniz is going to continue to push forward and work for those takedowns, eventually ending, end up landing one and um, submit your eye hole. I wouldn't be shocked if your eye hall like calls it a career. To be honest with you, yeah, he was on he? a nice little run that he he doesn't he never looks comfortable in there. So yeah, I mean, I, anytime he decided to hang it up, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Anything on that? Add, just going to add to that that you know Hall has never been submitted before, um, but neither had Eric Anders and neither had Jacare before Muniz got them. So. The brains behind the operation. <laughs> now you bring up some good points. And he's only 9,200, and he's – I mean, he had a first-round submission against Fabinski that only scored 95. But other than that, he scored 107 and 108. So um, they had, he? he had a decision against Royo that only scored 76. So, I mean, he needs that sub, and he, he probably needs it in the first round or the first two rounds at least to have a shot at the optimal. Um, he, he's got to be the chalkiest on the play, the chalkiest play on the slate, right? Um. Yeah, I mean, Adesanya, I'll get to him. He doesn't look super great as the most expensive fighter on the board. O'Malley, I think, is going to be pretty chalky. Muniz will probably be up, like, you know, one and two. Is Top probably two or three, guys. yeah. Yeah. So there is some some game theory maybe fading. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't get in the first, 
If he doesn't get it in the first round, I mean, I don't know that he hits optimal. We'll see. All right, let's jump to the next one here. We have Brad Tavares versus uh, – I always screw this up. Drikas Plusius, Duplius. Duplicius? I think it's Duplessy. Uh, I don't – Duplessy. Yeah, We're yeah. running with that. Tavares is 8,200, open at minus 130, is now plus 125, finished profit plus 450. Duplessy is 8,000, open at plus 110, is now minus 145 with a finished profit plus 130. Well, there's your your chalky mid-range play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's been – Duplessy has been um, – you know, he's won two fights by knockout in the UFC. Um, he's really dynamic and powerful, and I don't know. I just don't love his process. He, he does leg kick a lot. <laughs> Um, he does fire out lots of kicks. Um, he stays pretty active with them. Like if you look at his metrics, he doesn't have he doesn't have a ton of cage time, so it's a really small sample size. But um, he lands upwards of five significant strikes per minute. You know, on the flip side, you have Brad Tavares, who has tons and tons of cage time, and like you know, I forget what his actual metrics are, but he lands like three significant strikes per minute. I mean, he just just does not have good output at all. Um, it's really frustrating, but he's also like really consistent. Um, and he doesn't wrestle a ton. You know, he, he lands, according to fight metric, uh, about one takedown per fight. But um, I think those numbers are even skewed upward because he landed, you know, five takedowns and three takedowns and two takedowns in a couple of his fights really early in his UFC career. He hasn't landed more than one takedown in years and years and years. So, you know, he doesn't really go to his wrestling. He's sort of just a pretty, like, just consistent meat and potatoes, like jab, one, two, low kick defend takedowns kind of guy. He doesn't have a ton of power. Um, he's usually pretty like DraftKings cancer, you know, like he's not scoring well and he's usually keeping his opponent from scoring well. Um, you know, Duplessis coming in on two straight knockouts against Alex Perez and, and Trevin Giles. I think these, those guys, you know, you have Brad Tavares who's really consistent and those guys are really inconsistent. They, they screw up all the time, make terrible decisions. Um, and so, like, Duplessis, he gets, like, backed up to the cage really really easily. He His footwork sometimes looks like kind of a mess. Um, so, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't really trust him. I just don't really like the, uh, what I see from him. You know, he has a knockout against Roberto Soljic, I think, who's, like, super good uh, striker. Um, so, he's just – in this matchup, he's the, the more dangerous fighter. Um, and like you said, now he's a value. He's – um, 8,000, he's, uh, he, you know, he's less than the mid range. Um, so yeah, I do think he's probably going to be pretty chalky. Um, I'm willing to take some shots on him, but you know, I, I don't think he's going to, he's not going to wrestle. I think he, he's, he's wrestled a bit in his, in his fights in the past, but he's not, uh, amazing at it. I wouldn't say, and again, Tavares has like 80% takedown defense. Uh, I don't think Duplessis is going to have a lot of success with that. Um, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and pick Brad Tavares to just like jab and low kick and just be consistent and kind of keep Duplessis on his heels and kind of avoid the knockout blow um, from him. But, you know, in terms of DraftKings, I don't really have any interest in Tavares. He doesn't wrestle consistently enough or produce enough offense, and he's not powerful enough to really like move the needle at all. He'll be really low owned, I, I would expect, especially given like the negative line value on him at this point. So you could be super, super contrarian. Um, let me check here. Duplessis, he did get knocked out in his last loss. He, I think he kind of like folded eventually against Soldich uh, in their rematch. Um, you know, in the UFC, he hasn't been out of, you know, he hasn't been past the midpoint of the second round. So, 
you know, I think if you're really looking to be unique, I think Tavares is going to be really low owned and, you know, maybe he's able to pile up offense on a gas duplicy late. Um, I could see something like that happening, but the finished props, don't check that. Yeah. Plus 450 for Tavares plus 130 for duplicy. I mean, duplicy is going to be super chalky. And so, yeah, um, that's sort of my take on that one. Go contrarian. Go contrarian. Love it. All right. Before we get into this next one, first off, shout out to the real OG, John Church. Always supporting the cause. Big fan. Um, yeah. And this next one, Josh, what are your thoughts? What are you feeling? How are you feeling? This is like the prototypical Stonewall MMA fight. And for those who don't yeah. know what fight is coming up next, not only is there one old guard riding again, there's two. Yeah, Jim Miller, Don Spruney. Um Yeah, it's an interesting fight. I'm sort of surprised to see Miller being as big of a favorite as he is. That's, I think that's sort of my main takeaway is that, um, you know, they're both, yeah, they're both old. Uh, Cerrone in, in particular looks pretty dilapidated. Um, I think he's coming... You know, he was scheduled to fight Joe Lozon, then he dropped out in the first the first time they were booked, and then in the rematch, or not rematch, but the second time they were booked, it was Lozon who pulled out. Um, prior to that, I think he got knocked out by Alex Morono, which was, you know, a rough look. Um, he had a draw with Nico Price where he got hurt really badly. He had he lost a decision to Anthony Pettis. Um, you know, so he's just hasn't won a fight since he beat up Al I Quinta three years ago. Um, and he's gotten knocked out in four fights recently. He's just like, looks bad as slurring his words. It seems like uh, when I hear him talk, it, it's, it's rough. It's rough out there. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that Miller is like the kind of matchup that's really going to trouble Cowboy. Um, you know, I love Miller anytime. I love when he gets booked against like some up and comer, some, um, you know, like U- UFC newbie because he's just like super tough and gritty and has like, awesome submissions and, you know, can find a club and sub or, um, you know, use his wrestling against someone who hasn't really seen it, seen that before and kind of, uh, take advantage of them on the map, but that's not really cowboy, you know, cowboy's an awesome grappler. And I would expect that still to be true, even though he's like looked rough on the feet and gets hurt all the time. Miller doesn't push like a crazy pace on the feet. Um, that's sort of been his, like his problem. Um, you know, Miller had a, has a recent loss to Anthony Pettis as well. Um, let me see how long ago that was. Uh, I guess this was a while ago now. Okay, 2017. Yeah, so that was a while ago. Um, you know, even at that point, though, I think Pettis was sort of on the down on the downslope of his career. And, you know, and everyone had kind of figured out what you needed to do with Pettis at that point. You need to, like, push him back and put pressure on him and he always, he lets himself get backed up to the cage and then you can like really have a lot of success uh, striking against him there. And Miller didn't do that. He just like wants to have like an open space kickboxing match. Um, He can wrestle a bit, but he doesn't push that a ton. You know, he's not a smothering, um, he's not a super smothering wrestler. So I don't see him like having a lot of success, like taking down and controlling Cerrone. Um, If Miller won this, I would probably bank on it being sort of a, a club and sub type situation or just like a, a knockdown and like finish him off on the ground type of thing. Um, let me see how many knockdowns Miller has recently. I, I mean, I mentioned he has club and subs, but I don't know that he's really knocking down a ton of people. 
I guess he did knock down Mata in his most recent win. And back to back KOs for that. the old man. Yeah. So I guess maybe that's what people are looking at is that, you know, he he does have some pop and is dangerous and still like almost all of his wins he finishes. I mean, usually it's submissions, but he's, you know, tagging people and then chasing them to the mat and, and submitting them there. So, um, and Cerrone's like also a notoriously slow starter. So him being a slow starter and really hurtable at this point, you know, there's not a ton of reason to trust him, but if he makes it out of the first round, I mean, I think that his, he tends to be more to, to be higher volume and be more dynamic on the feet, more dangerous, more consistent um, than Miller. And Miller also has a reputation for gassing terribly after the first half of the fight. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb and pick Cerrone. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel confident in it at all. Um, I just don't, I don't, I don't see this being a terrible matchup for him, but with the way that he's getting hurt, I would not be the least bit shocked. I mean, I should, the days of picking Cerrone are probably done. I should probably, you know, I was even leaning toward Lozon um, over Cerrone just because of how dilapidated Cerrone is. And I think that in their primes, like Cerrone would have been an easy pick over over Lozon. Um, I was leaning toward Lozon because he's so like potent and always like seems to hurt people or go out and like try to hurt people and is really aggressive and hits hard right away early in fights. And Miller, I don't know, has I think less of a reputation for doing that, even though he does have two second round finishes, two second round knockouts, no less, um, that he's coming off of. Uh, so it definitely could happen here. As far as DraftKings goes, I mean, yeah, obviously, let me see what this odds of this fight ending inside the distance are. Miller is plus 110 to finish, and Cerrone is plus 275, which are all, like, very good numbers for their prices. Um, the fight itself is minus 225 not to go the distance. So, yeah, you're looking at a good chance of, at a finish here. And so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely um, potential on both sides here. I don't necessarily trust Cerrone to finish Miller. Um, even if he makes it out of the first round, I have a harder time seeing him like produce enough consistent offense to get the finish here. Um, you know, him outpouring him kind of outpouring and winning the last two rounds wouldn't shock me. You know what? I'm going to flip, I'm going to flip flop and go with Miller. I, you know, even winning the second. Wow. Round. Talk about a sword folks. Uh, yeah. Even, even Cerrone picking up the second round would be a little bit surprising. I think, um, I just think he's too shot at this point. So yeah, I'll go with Miller and I like him at 8,700. I mean, he has first round finish upside, first round knockout upside. Um, I think that he tends. I'm not looking at his score sheet. Actually, I was with you the whole time. I, I find it really hard to back Cerrone, even though in their prime I would have picked him because he's my guy and I like him more. But I like Jim Miller too. How can he not like the guy? Um, yeah. Excuse me. I think Cerrone's just shop worn. Yeah. And Miller, I mean, because he's always finished when, – when he wins, it's almost always a, an early finish. He tends to score well. I mean, he's scoring 100 points. You know, sometimes he scored 95 against Roberts in the second-round submission. You know, for 8,700, you, you'd take that. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that he's – Miller's a great play. Um, you know, I'll have some shots of Cerrone too. But 
Yeah. 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 All right, let's get into this next one. Ian Gary versus Gabriel Green. Ian Gary, 8,800, opened up minus 150, is now minus 175. Finish prop plus 200. Gabriel Green, 7,400, opened up plus 130, is now plus 150. Finish prop plus 350. So, yeah, Gabe Green, um, not Gabe Green, Ian Gary is the uh, the prospect here, the Irish, you know, dude who's yeah. trying to be the next McGregor. Uh, he's 24, he's 9-0. Um, he's really big. And pretty dynamic. He's like got, got fast hands. He can kick with either leg, and he's pretty quick with his kicks and can get those kicks up pretty high. Um, but I like Gabe Green. I like his game better. Um, he's much more experienced. Like uh, Gary hasn't fought the best competition uh, at all. Like, you know, he was over in Cage Warriors, and they're usually a pretty decent promotion, but a lot of the guys on his record, like, weren't great. I didn't get to watch a lot of his Cage Warrior stuff um, in preparation for this, but I did watch his two UFC fights. And he is just not like, he's not that consistent. He's not consistently winning exchanges. Um, he's having a lot of like, he's having a lot of even exchanges and he's not really utilizing his physical tools. Like he's really big and long, but he, he kind of plays an outfighter game where he's uh, kind of skirting the fence a lot. He's, you know, like dancing around on the outside, moving laterally. You know, it worked out great for him against Jordan Williams in his debut. Like, right at the end of the first round, Williams charges forward, and Gary sort of just, like, sidesteps him um, as Williams misses, like, and overextends on this, like, big southpaw left hand and just kind of, like, falls right past him. And Gary just, like, took a sidestep, and, you know, Williams' chin is right there on a platter, and he clatters him with two right hands, and that's all she wrote. Um, His last fight against Darian Weeks, I think, you know, Weeks is another dude who, like, doesn't really have a whole lot of experience and um, looks fine. But, you know, he had a pretty even fight with Weeks. And, you know, he staggered him in the third round, um, but he arguably lost the second round. And, you know, he had a guy in front of him who was sort of just, like, following, following him around and not pulling the trigger enough, um, not kicking his legs, just not, just not doing a whole lot. Um, and... So Gary was able to win that fight by decision. Um, Gabe Green, I just like I like his game. I mean, he came in on short notice against um, Daniel Rodriguez, who I really respect and think is a really dangerous, good fighter. Um, Green, I think he like moved up to welterweight for that fight. He had fought at lightweight and at catchweights between lightweight and welterweight. Um, he's since stayed at, at welterweight, so maybe you know he's sort of just like letting his frame fill out for that division, but. He absorbed a lot of strikes in that fight, and Rodriguez is really powerful. Um, he also landed a lot of strikes in that fight, too. Uh, and in his two other UFC fights, he um, you know, has looked good. He got badly hurt in his most recent fight, um, dropped, but like fought out of it and ended up TK, like TKOing the other dude who like ended up kind of like wilting and folding inside the same round. So he's really tough. Really, Green's probably the main issue is his takedown defense. Um, it doesn't look very good. He's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, so so far, like, when he's been taken down, he's been able to, like, survive and kind of scramble back up eventually. Um, he doesn't tend to get held down on his back for very long stretches that I've seen lately. I think maybe on the regionals that was more of the case, but uh, that doesn't really figure to be an issue here, I don't think. I don't, um, Gary doesn't look like much of an offensive wrestler. So um, Green, he can switch stances, and he consistently attacks the legs, 
He consistently throws in combination, which is something that Weeks wasn't doing uh, to Gary. Uh, I just like his game more. He is more consistent, and he's tough, and he's more experienced. Yeah. So, I mean, unless unless he gets, like, knocked out, I think he wins this fight. I think he's going to be winning the fight, and it's going to take Gary hurting him in two rounds to, to kind of steal it away from him. Um, and I'm not going to bank on that. So, so yeah, give me green for the upset here. Dig on that. Draft, yeah. On DraftKings, Gary is 8,800, and... You know, his finish prop is plus 200. It's not terrible, but it's, um, you know, it's not amazing. Uh, I would want to be underweight to him. You know, I might fade him outright. Uh, I just don't really believe in believe in the hype. I think he's a, just, I think he's a hype train, and I think he's getting a big step up here, and I like green. Um, I'm going to listen to more pods and stuff, and maybe people are going to be – one thing I'll say for Gary is that he's training at um, Sanford MMA with Henry Hoof, which is a great camp and, like, teaches striking really, really well. So I expect him to develop – quickly and become even better but as of his last fight i just think green is better so green at 7400 he doesn't have uh a great finish prop um and he's probably not going to wrestle much so you know he his upside is sort of caps but he does have a pretty solid volume and um so yeah for 7400 if he wins if he scores 80 points or so in a decision you know, I don't hate that. Um, I'm probably not going to go all in on him because because the I don't see a uh, super high ceiling for him there. Um, maybe he's able to break break Gary down and, and, and get kind of a late finish. Um, so I'm willing to take some shots on him for for that potential. But but yeah, probably a fight I'm going to be looking to be kind of underweight on overall. All right. So next up we got. Jalen Turner versus Brad Riddell. I'm kind of surprised by this line, so I'm really in, uh, interested to hear what you have to say on it. Um, Brad Riddell, 7,800 on DraftKings, opened at plus 100, but is now up to plus 125 as the underdog. His finish prop is solid, still plus 275 for his price. Turner, 8,400 on DraftKings, opened at minus 120, is now out to minus 145 as the favorite, and his finish prop is really good at plus 110. So I'm kind of surprised because, you know, I thought Riddell was – Pretty solid. I know he's coming off a knockout loss to Rafael Fasiv, who's super dangerous and super good. So I don't think that's a huge knock on him. Um, what, what do you make of this fight? Do you agree with, with Turner being the favorite here? Yeah, I'm all in on Turner. I really, really like him in this spot. Oh, snap. Okay. Tell me yeah, why. Yeah. Um, so Riddell is coming off that knockout loss to Rafael Fasiv uh, back in December. You know, he he's a rangy striker. He does. He comes from that kickboxing background where he's really excelled in his past. Um, likes to utilize the range quite a bit, fights at a lower pace, picks his spot, lands 4.76 significant strikes per minute while only eating 3.55 does have some proven power in his hands. Um, but you know, in terms of DraftKings upside, he, I don't think he has a knockout victory in the UFC. I think it's, it's been mainly decisions as of late. Um, does have a little bit of wrestling upside to fall back on too. Um, he was in that, that great fight with Drew Dober. He landed five takedowns in that fight. Um, the reason I like Turner, he's just, it seems like everything is coming together for this kid. He's on a four fight win streak. Uh, he had a great win over Jamie Malarkey with a second round KO in his last fight. And I keep coming back to this, but he's so big for this division, man. I think he's, he's six foot three. He's got a 77 inch reach advantage. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, What's he weighing at? 55? 
Uh oh, you got kid duties? Potentially. He uh, weighs in, he weighs good. in at fifty five. He walks around about probably, I don't know, one seventy, one eighty, anywhere between there. He's tough as shit. Um, you know, he ate a lot of shots from Malarkey and just kind of walks through them. Um and he, he ended up beating him up really, really bad. He hurt him a few times in the first round, ended up finishing him in the second. Um, and I think it's kind of that, you know, when you get hit in the face, like you kind of wake up, you're like, all right, I'm going to fight. Turner starts and continues to up his pace. He fights with high pace throughout uh, the entire fight. He lands 6.51 significant strikes per minute while only absorbing 4.34. Um, so he doesn't really, like, let off the gas. He's got a good gas tank, and as the fights continue to go on, he keeps pushing the pace. Um, looking for that finish. He mixes up his shots. He's got great head movement. He's got distance. He makes his opponents um, kind of guess what they're doing. He's got that blood in the water, blood in the water type finishing mentality, which I love to see. Um, pretty good defensive wrestler in his own right. He does train with Luke Rockhold. He sports an impressive 76% takedown defense. So, um, you know, Riddell's going to have his work cut out for him if he wants to take him down. So Turner is my pick here. Um, I think the fact that he's massive for this division and, you know, and he should have his way against Brad Riddell um, at the feet. You know, Riddell's typically a rangy guy. I'm not sure that that's the the answer here against a giant Turner who has a six reach, a six inch reach advantage and eight inch height height advantage over you. Um, I think Turner's bigger, stronger, faster, and I think he kind of exposes um, Riddell here. Um, he's been on a roll. He's got finishes, and I think he keeps that momentum going here. Um, I picked him to win by KO or TKO. Um, but wouldn't be shocked if he, he knocks him down, takes him down, and subs him out. So um, I'm going to take Turner via finish here. And I love the spot. I love the price tag. Love everything about it. All right. I'll have to get on – get aboard the Turner train here. Um, That's – Do you th- do you see, you know, um, Riddell having any kind of, like, takedown upside here? I mean, we have – looks like – Turner's take on defense is pretty, pretty stout. Um, he yep. did get taken home four times by Matt Favola and hasn't really faced a great wrestler since then. Um, you know, that's not really Riddell's a game. So you're not really expecting. No, I'm, I'm not. I mean, sure. It could be the path to victory there, but I'm not really expecting that. Um, I think Turner's take down defense, the camp he trains with and, you know, his just his size advantage. I, I just think it's going to be really hard for Riddell to take him down. And so I think it therefore takes place on the feet. And I think Turner pieces him up. All right. So I'm going to be heavy on Turner. I really like him in this spot. All right. Sounds good. I like it. All right. Next one we got ruthless Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barberina. Lawler 8,500 open at minus 120 remains minus 120 finished profit plus 330. Barberina. 7,700, open at plus 100, is still plus 100, finish prop plus 330. So pretty much a coin flip here. Yeah. Um, there you are. Sorry. Lawler's going off, Lawler's going off that TKO of um, Nick Diaz in their rematch. Diaz. Huh? I just said Diaz, sorry. Yeah. Um, but before that, he had lost four straight, granted to like pretty solid competition, Neil Magny, Colby Covington, that controversial uh, choke against Ben Askren and Rafael Dos Anjos. And before that, he had beaten Donald Cerrone. Um, Barbarena, you know, he also was kind of looking rough um, of late. You know, he had kind of a long layoff uh, between after his loss to – he had like back-to-back TKO losses to Vicente Luque and Randy Brown and was out for a while. 
and came back and beat Anthony Ivey, but like didn't really look good. He had a bunch of injuries, um, had like back surgery, I think, and blew up in weight a ton and kind of looked like lethargic. Um, lost to Jason Witt in a fight where he got taken down a lot. Witt is like basically known as a, a lay and pray guy who with a weak chin um, is sort of my memory of him. And Barbarina lost to him, so that's not a great look. But then he beat Darian Weeks and most recently Matt Brown. And he looked better in the in the, the Brown fight for sure. I mean, kind of looked like more like his old self. Um, I think he Brown is, you know, obviously a, an offensively dynamic fighter and Barbarina kind of just like took what Brown had to dish out and gave it back even more, um, outlasted him, um, outcardioed him. And so for Lawler, I'm, you know, he's definitely past his prime at this point. And, you know, he looked really good in spots against Diaz where he was, you know, pressuring him and unloading with like devastating power shots and ended up, I think like maybe breaking his nose and, and getting the TKO in the third round. Um, but I don't know. There's also spots where he just like Diaz, you know, Diaz has looked not in great shape for that fight and had hadn't fought in forever. And, um, after Lawler came, came right out and like tried to buzzsaw him and was like pounding on him. And then Diaz sort of, um, you know, realized he was in a fight and started throwing back and, you know, does his Diaz thing where he's just like throwing volume, 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 just throwing out punches, punches, punches. Um, and Lawler like did a lot of like covering up, um, you know, kind of, I don't know. It, it, he got put back on his heels a lot by that kind of like throwaway volume that Diaz had. Um, and, you know, then he would, then he would kind of like bite down and start swinging through it and get his own big power shots in, um, tend to get like the better of things, but it's just like, wasn't a great look. And he's had problems with that in some of his recent other recent fights as well. You know, Neil Magny and Colby Covington, you know, granted Covington and Rafael dos Anjos are like really, really, really good fighters. Um, but he's just not as comfortable. I think like with fire coming at him, um, I don't know. He hasn't been as dangerous as, uh, of late. Um, so I have kind of a hard time trusting Lawler here. Um, I think I'm going to go with Barbarina for like his output, um, and not being quite as old. Um, you know, seeing him win the Miller fight, I think they, sorry, the, uh, Matt Brown fight, I think he can kind of do something similar here and just sort of outlast and outwork, um, Lawler, but, I think it does deserve to be a close fight. Uh, it's still really hard to trust Barbarina, I think. But his problem lately has been like takedown defense and kind of getting held down, and that's not really going to be a thing with Lawler. Um, mm -hmm. I think Lawler's really going to have to like hurt him and dissuade him from coming forward, and maybe he can do that, but I'm not going to bank on it, I guess. So um, I guess I'll go with Barbarina in this spot. Um on DraftKings, you know, they have identical finish props, but Barbarina is $800 cheaper. So I think I would expect him to be, you know, he doesn't have the name value that Lawler does. Um, and he's not the favorite, but, you know, he he probably, he has line value and an equivalent finish prop. So, you know, I would expect Barbarina to be more popular here. Um, you know, with without him, Barbarina also doesn't wrestle. So without him wrestling, um, he's just going to be relying on volume and, um, you know, 
I kind of made a similar case for Gabe Green. Gabe Green, he's $300 cheaper than Barbarina. I think he probably has more output upside than Barbarina does. Barbarina, you know, he could land 100 significant strikes. Um, you know, I think he landed landed 111 against Brown in his most recent fight. That was three rounds. Uh, let me double check what his drafting score was. 96 against Brown. He had one reversal and about a minute of control. So, I mean, he did have a lot of um, non-significant strikes. He had 111 significant strikes, but 186 non-significant, or just 186 total strikes. Um, so he was able to get points that way. And I think that was because a lot of that fight took place in the clinch. And so he just kind of stayed busy in the clinch. Um, and so I think that's like definitely the upper end. Obviously, you take that score for his price at this point. Uh, he beat Darian Weeks and scored 79 before that, where he had 108 significant strikes. Um, much, many fewer total strikes, no control time in that fight, really. So, you know, if 80 points is the ceiling for him for 7,700, I don't really know that that gets it done. So, basically, what I'm saying is, I this is not a fight that I'm dying to target because I think that you're probably going to need a finish from somebody to for them to have a chance to be op- optimal. And um, I guess I have a hard time seeing seeing that happen. I mean, it wouldn't be wouldn't be shocking. Lawler's not out here getting finished yet. Um, he hasn't looked great, but he's also is still pretty tough. Uh, him finishing Barbarina wouldn't totally shock me, but I think this would be just like a contrarian, low percentage type type play. Robbie Lawler is part of the old guard at this point, no? Yes, definitely, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I like those dudes with some submission upside. I don't know. That seems to be my old guard. Yeah, that is that is more your gimmick. Yeah. All right, so next up we got Pedro Munoz taking on Sean O'Malley. Um, Sean O'Malley, 9,300 on DraftKings, opened at minus 240, is now out to minus 300 as the favorite. His finish prop, very strong, plus 130. Munoz, 6,900 on DraftKings, opened at plus 195, is now up to plus 250 as the underdog, and his finish prop is plus 500. Um, I'm a big Sean O'Malley hater. This dude sucks. Uh, <laughs> you don't say. I hope Pedro you don't Munoz, like him? I hope Pedro, Pedro Munoz kicks his legs off. Um, but is there any is there any hope of that here? Or does does uh, no. O'Malley walk? No, that's I mean he does have good leg kicks historically. Um that's been O'Malley's kryptonite. Um Let me just say let me just rant real quick. I'm sorry. All right, do your thing, bro. The floor <laughs> is yours. Oh man, the dude is he sucks. Um he has the worst personality. Hey, I'm gonna go get another beer. I'm listening and you can probably still hear me, so all right. Um, I'll get to his fights bit in a, in a little bit, but the guy looks like, you know, if Conor McGregor and Machine Gun Kelly had a love child, <laughs> it's the dude is just the worst. And the thing that really like bugged me is that like clearly you have this this issue where um, you have like brittle legs. Like it's happened to you in multiple fights where you've been leg kicked or you've kicked the other person, and you've gotten like hurt and hobbled. Um, I think in that like infamous fight with Andre Sukumta where he was like could barely stand and then Sukumta like had the boneheaded play of just like continuing to take him down in the third round of a fight. Yeah, round two exactly. Round. I think, you know, O'Malley is like, Oh my, like he made it look like his like ankle was broken. And then it turned out that like nothing was broken. He was just like his ankle hurt or something. Um, did he get stretchered out of there? I remember him sitting there. I, think I he remember did. I think he did. Yeah. But anyway, you know, I'm not going to like question the dude's toughness. He's a professional fighter, blah, blah, blah. I just, think that he's he's def- still got a weakness to these leg kicks 
the thing that really irked me was that he had, so he lost to, I think, Marlon, Marlon Vera. And of course, like Vera's super tough and hurt his leg. And then uh, O'Malley went down and Vera beat him up and, and finished him. And then in his next fight, I think he got Tomas Almeida, if I remember correctly. Let me double check that. Yeah. And Almeida is like, you know, was highly ranked at one point, but is like washed at this point is a dude who gets hurt all the time. Um, is like all offense, no defense, way smaller than O'Malley. And O'Malley comes out like southpaw in a lot of that fight to avoid getting leg kicked. And then, so he knocks out poor Thomas Almeida in like the second round. Cause again, Almeida's washed. And <laughs> O'Malley's like, everyone said that like, I couldn't take a leg kick. And they were wrong. And this fight proves that. And it's like, you fought in your other stance to avoid getting leg kicked most of that fight. Dude is, dude is terrible. And I hope Pedro you got, Munoz... You got beef, bro? Yeah. I, I hope Pedro Munoz wins, but I'm not really expecting much. So. Stonewall, Stonewall versus Sugar, UFC 284. I'm here for it. Yeah. I would squash him. <laughs> yeah, you would. I'd bet the farm on Stonewall. Um, anyway, yeah, so Pedro Munoz, historically in his career, he's been a dog, very aggressive. Um, he's not afraid to kind of bull rush, get his way into the pocket, continue to push forward, throw great leg kicks. Um, he's got a good gas tank, really good chin. But the question is, does he still have that? You know, he's older in age. Um, they are looking to build Sean O'Malley. They're going to give him some sort of name value here in Pedro Munoz. Um, and the first thing I wrote here about Sean O'Malley, one of the more polarizing fighters that we have currently in the UFC. And Example A um, was just before you. So um, it's really fun. Over your, I didn't mean to step all over your um, your breakdown here, man. No, I, I dig it, man. This is what I like. I like that. That's going to go up my chest. That's, <laughs> I've been holding this in for a while. Um, so, yeah, you know, unique striker. I don't have to say it. Stands at range, really light on his feet. Great jab, accurate overhands. He's going to have a big seven-inch reach advantage here over him. Um, and I expect him to utilize that reach and, and fight at a really high pace and, and – Inevitably put down Munoz. Um, he's a finishing machine. He, he goes out there, finds the chin, does his business, and get the hell out of there. So his momentum and his confidence is also at an all-time high. Um, yeah, I just think he's, he's in a spot here to, to, to finish this fight with another another KO. If somehow Pedro Munoz can, can push forward and take that range away, um, sure, he's definitely alive, but I won't be putting much of anything on Munoz. So sorry to uh, – Pick your boy, but right. I understand. Um, Ninety three hundred for O'Malley. You know he he doesn't really wrestle, so he's, he's probably going to need like a first round finish, second round at worst to end up optimal. Um, you know, you think he hits that? Yeah, I really don't think. Well, Munoz hasn't been KO'd. And dude is ever stupid tough. Yeah, he's been in absolute wars again. I mean, Aljamain Sterling landed one seventy four, Frankie landed one thirty five, Aldo one fourteen, Dominic Cruz one hundred three. Um. So yeah, I guess there is some merit to fading O'Malley, but that's a risk. I mean, Munoz has been in wars lately, and we just don't know where he's at mentally, physically, with his chin. So. I like O'Malley here. In terms of ownership, do I want to be over or onto the field? Probably right at it. Yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking too. I'd be more willing to go underweight because all the casuals that come in, 
see Sean O'Malley and they're going to be like, oh, auto-click. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there is some probably some value and some game theory behind that, but that's kind of where I'm at. Anyhow, all right, we're on pace here. Let's go to the next fight. We have Sean Strickland versus Alex Pajera. Sean Strickland, 7,900, opened at plus 100, is now minus 120, finished prop plus 250. Pajera, Pajera 8,300, opened at minus 120, is now plus 100, finished prop plus 140. This one could be fun. Yeah, it's going to be probably a mess. Um, you know, they're trying to build up Alex Pajeda. You know, he's got he's the dude who knocked out Israel Adesanya. Um, he does have a lot of experience in MMA, but they're trying to kind of like build him up quickly. He's gotten um, a couple of UFC, two wins in the UFC so far. Uh, he's going to be a big step up here against Sean Strickland, who's another like uh, borderline contender. He's gotten a couple of recent wins against Ryan Hall and Jack Hermanson. Um, is there anyone else in that streak? Oh, yeah. Yatko, Brendan Allen. So, yeah, some decent dudes that he's um, beaten lately. I'm going to go with Strickland here, but I don't have a ton of confidence in it. You know, um, Strickland is really upright and kind of like really plotting and um, looks like he could really be taken advantage of in terms of like leg kicks and, um, you know, Pajeda's thing is having a, a massive left hook. Pajeda, you know, he's he's bigger and longer than Strickland um, and just like super dynamic and super dangerous and very powerful. You know, he comes from a kickboxing background, but I don't know that he's like the cleanest technician. Um, you know, he, he's not like Adesanya in that way who, you know, that was sort of like his thing is just being this like super technical striker. Um, Pajeda is more of a uh, just like dynamic finisher type. Um, and so he's like, because of that, he's less consistent. He kind of gets, like, um, put off his game at times. He gets backed up at times. Um, you know, his two fights in the UFC so far have been pretty low level. Like, Andres Mikulidis, I think, is out of the UFC at this point, maybe. And Bruno Silva is fine, but kind of just, like, heavy-handed. And that's sort of his only thing that I can remember. Um, so Strickland, he's got a lot of experience. You know, maybe he could wrestle a little bit in this fight, although he doesn't tend to do that. He, he got he was credited with four takedowns against Uriah Hall, but I think he landed the first takedown after he like badly hurt Hall. Uh, and then of course, like the classic MMA thing of like you hurt your opponent and then decide to start wrestling. Um, so, you know, that would be an obvious like thing for him to try to do here is try to is try to get some wrestling going uh, against the kickboxer. So he has that potential. Um, he just like tends to throw out a ton of like pretty consistent output. Uh, so it's probably going to be on Pajeda to, you know, really punish him and hurt him and get him out of there. And that's not impossible. You know, we've seen Strickland knocked out by um, Elize Zaleski Dos Santos. Uh, granted, it was like with a wheel kick. So, you know, hard to blame the dude for getting knocked out with that. Uh, so, yeah, it's probably going to be kind of a car crash because Strickland's probably just going to keep like plotting after him and um, leaving his leaving his chin up there. You know, he has he has this really chin up, like upright type of style, but he's kind of made it work for him where he relies on like parrying and pulling his head back. And, you know, Pajeda, I could definitely see him making him pay for that with one of those left hooks and just like taking his head off. Um, but he's probably going to be losing up until he does that um, on volume. So I'll go with Strickland to kind of survive um, some scary moments and and get the dub. Uh, maybe mix mix in some takedowns. Um, Strickland, he does have you know he's he's flipped to the favorite now. He's 
the minus 120 favorite, but he's 7,900 on DraftKings. He has wrestling upside. He's got, um, you know, the, I don't know if he has name value exactly, but he, you know, he has the experience. I expect him to be like decently popular. Um, you know, I'm willing to take some shots on him. I, you know, mostly because, mostly because of the wrestling, this was just going to be a straight kickboxing battle for three rounds. Um, you know, I don't, I wouldn't expect him to put up 90 points. Um, Pajeda, you know, his finished prop is plus 140, which is really good. And so, you know, if he wins, he's probably going to probably gonna be by knockout and he's only 8,300. Um, so even if he gets that done in the second round or something like that, he can probably, you know, have, has a shot at the optimal. So it's a, probably like what you said a minute ago, it's probably a fight I want to be more on, on field versus like over or underway. I don't want to take a huge stand on this one because I don't have a super strong lean one way or the other. Um, Yeah, that's sort of my take. You have any other thoughts? No, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, it should be good. Should get a new contender out of it at least. Yeah, buddy. All right, so the people's name. All right. Yep. Yeah. You see me up here? I mean, yeah, I'll tee you up. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. Volkanovski 9,000, open at minus 190, is now minus 200, finished prop plus 330. Holloway 7,200, plus 160, opened at plus 160, is now plus 170, finished prop plus 550. So I don't really know how much tape study outside of these, the, the first two fights you did on this one, but like this should be an absolute war again. And God damn it, I hope Max Holloway gets his hand raised. Yeah, I love, I love Max Holloway so much. I, it would break my heart. If you didn't get a win in this in this series, um, I'm gonna sort of sadness hedge here and pick Volkanovski. Um, it's razor close, you know. I, I don't think that Volkanovski deserves to be as big of a favorite as he is at this point, you know, nearing minus minus two hundred. Um, you know, the last fight super super close, um, but Volkanovski's game, he just it seems to be more flexible maybe um you know he's really he in the first fight obviously he did a a tremendous job of shutting max out and like really preventing him from getting his like classic snowball uh rolling downhill game going um countering the jab with low kick so that you know holloway really couldn't build uh on his combinations and get things going and um in the rematch i think that holloway um he sort of kind of like did he did a couple of things like he lifted his lead leg uh, and then sort of like hopped in so he tried to like enter that way so he wouldn't be putting his lead leg on, on a platter there when you jab um try to enter that way he also kind of made um Volkanovsky I think try to come to him more and uh then countered him obviously he he um dropped him to a knee in the first round uh first one with a head kick and then the second one with the, that uppercut uh counter uppercut um, he also kicked more in the rematch, but then, you know, he clearly won those first two rounds and, you know, you definitely can make an argument for him winning at least one of the next three. You know, I think he probably won the fourth when I was rewatching it. Um, so I had it one, two, four for Holloway. Um, but I think even the fifth round was like super close. And I think Volkanovski has like a really strong last minute that maybe steals it, steals it away from Holloway. Um, but like, those are the margins. It's like super close. And you're just looking at like, who can have like a good flurry here. And, um, you know, 
it's a they're both so technically good it's it's hard for me to you know poke holes in their game or like you know pick out who's going to do uh what better here um i guess i'm going to go with volkanovsky again because he's um hallway kicked more in the rematch which was which was a, a good adjustment um but volkanovsky has always been a really good kicker um he can kick with either leg really well and he just hits harder he hits harder and um his defense is good enough that he, you know, it's not one of those situations where Max is landing three or four to um, Volkanovski's one. Like they're landing like pretty similar amounts of shots, and Volkanovski tends to hit harder. Um, I know Holloway was, you know, the one who who dropped Volkanovski in the last fight, uh, even though he wasn't credited with any official knockdowns, which is crazy. Which you know, in terms of DraftKings, we'll get to here in a second, but. Um, yeah, I'm just like I said. I'm gonna kind of sadness head here. I'm really excited to see like what kinds of adjustments they make and how they approach the fight. And like you said, I really hope that Holloway is able to get his hand raised here. I would nothing would make me happier here. Um, as far as DraftKings goes, the winner has a good shot at has a decent shot at making the optimal. Obviously, if Holloway wins, he's 7200. You know, for five rounds, he's gonna put up the volume. He's gonna have to put up the volume. Maybe he gets a knockdown and actually gets credited with one this time. Um, you know, basically everybody agreed that he got two knockdowns in that last fight. And like, according to fight metric official stats, like he didn't get any. So, um, I think if he had won, um, their first fight, let me see what he would have scored. Uh, Sorry. If he had won the rematch, he would have scored 72, 72. Uh, if he had been credited with his knockdowns, he would have scored 92. So, you know, just just on the volume, even if Holloway wins, because um, because he's not able to get like you know the typical you know 180, 200 plus significant strikes that he's gotten in some of his other fights, you know he's only landing you know 100 or 125 or something like that. You know he might be lucky to score 80 points in this fight if he wins. Um, and so for 7,200, 80 points, you know you definitely take that. But is it going to be enough to be optimal? I don't know. We have, you know, there's been a lot of these fights where we haven't been super high on the, um, you know, upside in these fights. So maybe, you know, like outside of like Muniz and like Jim Miller, in a lot of these fights, we're just kind of like, meh, I don't really know that the winner's scoring a ton of points here. And like uh, Sean O'Malley, you know. Um, so could I, could this be sort of a lower scoring slate? I possibly. So yeah. So obviously Holloway is in play because if he wins, he's only 7,200 and he's got a decent shot at the optimal. Um, for Volkanovski, you know, he's got a little bit more wrestling equity. So he scored 103 in their rematch uh, with 137 significant strikes and three takedowns. Um, you know, and so you definitely, you take that for 9,000 too. So, but he needed to land those takedowns for him to get that, you know, 100 point score. Um so, I don't know. It's it's not a fight that I'm like I want to be all in on necessarily. I mean, I expect it to be action packed. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat the entire time. But it's not one that I'm like guaranteed the winner of this fight is going to be optimal. You know, like I think they they both do a pretty decent job of limiting the other's ability to really rack up like super high points. Like, you know, you're having a hard time getting takedowns against e either of them or knockdowns or or tons and tons of strikes. So, um, you know, I'll have s some of both. 
Um, you know, if I find like good places that I want to pivot to, um, then I, then I would be interested in doing that. Um, but I'm definitely going to be carving out some lineups that don't have either of these guys in, in them, I think. Wow. I know. So, wow. 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 So, like I said, if this, if this, I might just not find enough like good pivots. Um, and I end up with just tons of these guys anyway. So I don't know. It's kind of, kind of a weird card that way. You have any, any thoughts on it or are you ready to move on? That's a really hot take, but okay. Yeah. They just haven't put up, they just haven't put up monster scores. Um, Again, if Holloway wins, I think obviously he's got a better chance of making optimal because you know he only needs eighty-five or something like that to have a shot at it. Um, anyway, ready to get to this main event? Yep. All right. So Israel Adesanya taking on Jared Cannonier. Adesanya is the most expensive fighter on the slate at ninety-four hundred. His he opened at minus three sixty-five as the favorite and is out to minus four fifty. So he's the biggest favorite on the card as well. Um, his finish probably was. Solid at plus 140. Cannoneer, 6,800 on DraftKings, the cheapest fighter on the slate. He opened at plus 280, is now up to plus 360 as the dog in his finish, probably plus 550. Um, so, does Cannoneer have a shot here or does Izzy roll? And I think most people, you know, he's the biggest favorite, so most people probably say, yeah. Does, do you want to play Izzy? Because, like, his scores have kind of been, you know, not always the best. Yeah, I think he does run away with this. Um, I don't think Cannoneer has much of a chance. Unfortunately, Cannoneer won me a GPP like two or three years ago, so I always have a soft spot in my heart for him. Um, Fair. Where was I? I was sitting at the sports book north of York, Pennsylvania, watching it nice. with a friend of ours. Yeah, a friend of ours was playing blackjack. I was like, I'm going to go to the sports book, and I shipped a GPP. It was actually really sweet. Um. Yeah, it's really hard for me to, to to bet against Adesanya at this point. The guy is just elite generational talent. Um, in terms of playing him, I think there's always a chance that he goes out there and and smashes on fools. But I, these Cannoneer fights, I mean, I, I just don't see his opponents like racking up elite amount of strikes and takedowns and kind of slowing the fight down. I mean. I could see him – I could see Adesanya kind of fighting a slower-paced fight and just beating his ass over five rounds. Um, that's kind of how I think it's going to go. I think it's going to be a a longer fight where he wins via decision or a late finish. Um, I just don't see Cannonier knocking him out. I just think – I think Adesanya, he's done it in the past. He's kind of fought the smart fight. You know, he got a lot of heat for that um, – who did he fight? Um Yo, Romero. Was it, was it Romero, the slow-paced slogging fight where, you know, you have to beat the champion kind of attitude that he had? Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if that happens here. I'm not overly – I'm excited to see Izzy fight in Cannonier, but I'm just not overly excited for this fight as a whole, to be quite honest with you. So I'll take Izzy here. Um, I'll probably be much less owned to him because he of his name value in the field. Um, that's kind of where I stand on it. And obviously I got to take a few shots on Cannonier because – narrative street you know yeah yeah i mean izzy is the biggest favorite on the card but his last couple wins he scored 75 and 85 against whitaker and vittori and that's just not getting it done um 
you know, he scored 102 against Costa. That would, that might be enough, but it's like not, it's not enough to like guarantee you. And that was a second round, second round finish. Um, the second round finish of Whitaker, 106, uh, where, where he got a couple of knockdowns. Um, so yeah, he just doesn't have like, with no wrestling, you're really relying on him getting knockdowns, probably like multiple knockdowns and a finish pretty early for him to score 100 points. And, you know, Kenanier is super tough. Um, maybe he goes out there and like throws himself at Izzy and Izzy has to, um, has to respond with offense and like, it does get those knockdowns and like, and puts up a, a big score. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I think I would rather be underweight to Izzy in the spot and play someone like O'Malley. Who's got um, a stronger chance at a first round finish or else is in that tier. Um, Volkanovsky where, you know, the floor is going to be super high. Um, although, you know, that's a super even fight. So um, who else is up there? Uh, Muniz, right? He's going to be, I think, like you said, Chalk City. I don't think Bar- anyone's going to want to play Barber. Um, Jim Miller. Yeah, so it's just, it's like Muniz and uh, O'Malley are going to be super Chalk. Um, you know, if, if uh, O'Malley doesn't get the first round finish, then maybe that opens the door for Izzy. But again, you know, it, Izzy's going to need a finish. Like he needs, a, he doesn't p- produce enough offense um, where winning a decision is going to get it done. Like I think he won a decision against Kelvin Gastelum and he scored a ton of points, but that's because he got credited with four knockdowns, which is totally insane. Um, that's kind of performance you need from him just to put up a really giant score. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of a weird slate where I'm not expecting like, there's not a lot of fights where I'm like, that's definitely going to score highly. Um, so it's kind of weird to break down, but, but yeah, you have any thoughts on it? No, I'm excited for this card as a whole. It's going to be really fun. Um, big card July 4th weekend. I hope everybody has a safe, uh, happy, healthy weekend. Um, yeah, that's all we got. Thanks again for listening guys. Make sure to give us a subscription, a like positive rating. Thank you to Brett, uh, for hosting us as always. Make sure you go check out his site, dailyfanmma.com. He's one of the best in the business. Um, that's all I got, Josh. For the good of the people, everybody have a great weekend, and we'll see you for the next one. Peace. Peace.